If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building. We have a big packed agenda today that hopefully we're going to try and breeze through a little bit while also still going in depth. We've got the Orlando Magic and why they have become the team that I find myself gravitating most toward on League Pass and on Synergy over the course of the last month. I mean, look, people know that I kind of hate watch the Houston Rockets, although not over the last like five or six games, they've been really fun. But Orlando is the one where I'm just like, this is not a great team. I know that, but they are super fun to watch. The second thing we're going to talk about, NBA Defensive Player of the Year Top 5s. We did Top 5s Rookie of the Year. On Wednesday, we're going to do uh, NBA Defensive Player of the Year Top 5s today, and I'm really, really excited to jump into those because I don't know about you, Mark, but I had an absolutely miserable time trying to put that together. Yeah, it's probably going to be more of a miserable time uh, once I get some of the reactions to mine. Um, I would yeah. assume that's how it tends to go. I feel good about it right now, but yeah, we'll see how it turns out, man. Um, but, I have no way feel I mean, good. I mean, I can't feel uh, – I, can, I can't come down from the high of Georgetown winning a Big East regular season game for the first time in like almost 700 days. So oh, um, that's great. We're here. We're- the, the, the literal toilet bowl, DePaul versus Georgetown. Georgetown won in uh, – <laughs> The game ended up not being super close, and uh, none of the players looked all that happy, understandably. Like, it was actually kind of distressing seeing, like, oh. what the celebration was across Twitter <laughs> for Georgetown winning a game. Um, well, the way they closed the game, though, like you say, the players weren't happy. Like, it's like they tried to give away the game at the end. Yeah. It, we, we've already done the Georgetown rant. I just, yeah, this team sucks. It's really it's- hard to watch. I feel I feel bad for the players. I don't think they're yeah. put in position to succeed. We'll just say that. Uh, the final thing we're going to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about Dariq Whitehead, the fact that he avoided season-ending injury uh, on, what was that, Tuesday, I believe. Yeah. Really, really good sign. Really, really good news. And I just wrote about him a little bit on The Athletic just to kind of break down the weird place that his draft stock is in right now. I think that people don't kind of recognize that NBA teams are like, kind of all over the map a little bit and mm-hmm. are preaching patience as well, trying to figure out who he is. Finally, we're going to talk a little bit about Brandon Miller because I know Mark wants to talk about Brandon Miller and the improvements that he's made over the course of the season to become even better than what he's been. But let's start with the Orlando Magic. Mark has gotten his Georgetown rant uh, out of his system already. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the team that I enjoy watching most. We're slapping the bag 2023 here. As you guys remember, uh, Robbie Calland in the win-loss over-unders to start the season. 
we proclaimed this is the year where slap the bag 2023 would be in effect for Franz Wagner and Franz yeah, for, Wagner has been Franzian, incredible. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, I just had to make sure I, I will. I mean, we're, we're separated a little bit in, in age, so I had to make sure, but Oh, wow. Now I'm thinking about the last bag slap that I did. And I don't want to think about that. Continue. <laughs> By the way, is that like, that's definitely not just like a Midwest thing, right? Like it might just obviously be that was very much a thing at Michigan state university. Uh, yeah. Definitely think at Ohio State. First and only bag slap I ever did was room temp. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> that was one of the worst nights of my life. So, Oh, my goodness. But we're going to talk about the Magic and like just the really, really fun team that they have. So I'll, I'll let you start before I jump in because I just kind of have a lot. Like I, I'm just going to kind of spray like wide, I feel like, with the Magic because mm. I love uh, so many disparate pieces on this team. I don't know if they have like a central cohesive theme yet uh, beyond just being really fun and having a lot of really fun players. I will note one thing that uh, noted Orlando Magic friend, uh, friend of the program and fan, uh, Steve Cerruti, producer of the Ryan Rusilla show. He sent me that I think is really, really interesting. But before we get there, Mark, what have been your overall impressions of the Orlando Magic thus far in the season? Yeah, I mean, kind of what I expected. I should say over the last couple of weeks, like when they get their guards back, they are a completely different team. Um, yep. Markel Fultz was awesome yesterday against the Pacers. Like, I think the biggest theme for me, at least with with the, the Magic, is their their size. Like, their size is so hard for teams to to deal with. And their win against Portland, yep. uh, I think it was two weeks ago. That was one of those games where you they won, not just because of their size, but the positional size that they have was a significant reason why they ended up winning that game. You look at the game that they had against Indiana last night, also played a significant part. Like, Huge McConnell's a good guard defender, but when you have somebody like Markel, who's 6'4", that is as shifty as he is, that can rise over anybody, you know, 16 feet in. Um, and he's just looked like he's had that shift back. Like, he's yeah. been really good for them. He's been really dynamic. Um, the, I mean, the biggest frustration I think I have with this team is that it, it just never feels like Jalen Suggs is going to be healthy. Um, I'm yeah, hoping that it seems like it's just going to be hopefully after this season they get to a point where he's healthy again because it, he's yeah. always in and out of the lineup. He's, I mean, the flashes are still good. You see good stuff from him. Um, yep. I mean, even like Cole Anthony has had some really good games of late. Like, again, it's just you have guys who can do yeah. something as guards – um, compared to what it was earlier in the year. And it's like, hey, you know, we were able to put our guys in really good spots. And Franz Wagner's just been awesome. Uh, like he's, So good. <laughs> he started the year. Not even that it was bad. I still thought it was very good to start the year. Obviously, his splits were down. Like, he wasn't shooting as well from outside. A lot of that was not having guards who could really create everything and create any kind of spacing. But since, like, Christmas, he's been just on an absolute tear um, in terms of what he's putting up across the board. Um I mean, he's been for my for my money the best player on their team. Like, obviously, Paolo's done a lot of really great stuff. If I had to give somebody on the team an All Star nod, it would be Franz because he's been that good. I mean, just this is since Christmas. Um, so, thirteen games, twenty one points, four boards, four assists, fifty three, forty two, seventy nine splits. We'll get into the line quite a bit, taking five threes a game. Yeah. Like, just been really damn good. Um, I enjoy the hell out of this team. Exactly like you mentioned, like Jonathan Isaac is back now which regardless of how you feel about his off-court stuff, um, like he just getting back and being healthy and seeing him get on court again yeah. is really cool from a standpoint of knowing that he went through two and a half years of absolute hell, personal injury-wise, 
to get back. Um, and he's looked solid. Like, I, I want to see more still. He's, I think he just played his third game last night. But, yeah. again, there's just uh, there's a lot going on here to feel positive about. Yeah, like the fact that Jonathan Isaac was able to come in and be as impactful defensively with his length, with his movement skills, just that general – I think that like that goes even more than anything to show just how some guys are just like savants on defense, right? Yeah. Jonathan Isaac can sit out two and a half years basically, and he still has that like anticipation that he's always had, right? Like he still has – like the timing is still coming back a little bit. You can see that like it's still not 100% there. But just like that that sense of anticipation, like rotating around and like, you know, finding those little passes. Like he had that play against Jason Tatum where like – I can't remember if it's like a, off the top of my head like a rip or like he just like kind of deflected like a lazy pass like almost like right in Tatum's hands mm-hmm. and then just went and like started a transition opportunity. It's just like – his length in his hands and that anticipation, like it's still just there. It's, it's unbelievable. It's kind of staggering, but I'm glad that you started on Markel Fultz because I think that that's the place where I want to start mm-hmm. as much as anything. Uh, Markel Fultz is a good point guard in the NBA. Like he is a legit starting caliber point guard in the NBA. I know it doesn't look like the way that people anticipated it looking like. When he was the number one overall pick, he looked like a three-level scorer who could make passing reads, who could do like a million different things on the court. But it looks pretty close now. Like he's not the superstar because the shooting isn't there. The three-level scoring isn't there. He's really kind of resigned to that like 16 foot and in range as a scorer. I know that he occasionally takes threes, but I still don't feel great about it coming out of his hand, but he's still impactful regardless. He has turned into a really, really good defender, which is something that if you watch him at Washington, like that never existed. And he's turned into a guy where his footwork has always been elite and his creativity with his footwork has always been unbelievable. But just the way he slithers and slides like through defenders and like slaloms around guys with like Euro steps and deceleration moves and things like that. It's kind of the closest thing in the league to watching Shea that isn't Shea. It mm-hmm. feels like, you know, like, do you, do you know what I mean when I say it? like, he's obviously not, no, I get exactly he's not as good. Um, yeah. But like just the, the way that he maneuvers and slithers around the paint is kind of unbelievable to me. Yeah. And actually I, some people will probably disagree with me on this. I mean, he's a better passer than Shea. Like that's well, yeah. I, I mean, she, true, yeah. But... I mean, she's that's not. I don't mean that, and that's not that. Like she, she's a, a thirty point per game scorer. Like, yeah, no, you know, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, like, she's a way that's player. that's the difference for me. Like, you get a player who is doing really exciting things as a live dribble creator for them because even like part of what's fun about this team, and we we haven't even mentioned him yet. Like, Wendell Carter hasn't necessarily taken like the leap. He's still yeah. been really damn good this year. And, like, when he's healthy, they are a different team. Like, defensively, they hit differently because of what he brings at the five spot. Like, his switchability has been awesome this year. I don't think the rim protection has been quite as good as it was last year, but I think part of that's been what their guard defense has been at times. Um, Obviously, it's a two-player game in pick and roll. Um, But, like, in terms of screening and just opening things up, like, what he does to create space for for Markell is awesome. Like, I'll never forget when I talked to – when I talked to Wendell last year for a feature, like he like actually one of one of the most fun things to do is to talk about 
screening with a good screener because like we just talked about screening for like 15 minutes and what it was like, like learning Markel's game and, you know, kind of figuring that out and, and getting that sense. And you really see that click this year. I think even when teams are, it's, it's something that I think obviously, you know, when you're talking about playoffs, it's different, but when you are able to screen and rescreen the way that some, some guys can in the league, for for a guy like Markel who's not going to take those outside shots with consistency and get guarded like it, I mean, you can really create space still for them. And I think you're seeing that at a high level. Um, so I've enjoyed it. Also, I feel like I just have so many things to say about this team. Uh, since Gary Harris went back in the starting lineup, Magic are six and five. And Gary Harris yep. has been really good. It's been really solid. Like yep. just a good guard, a good guard defender can run a little bit of secondary stuff and is hitting his shots at a high level. So yeah. that's I mean, exactly like you just plug and play a regular rotation guard in and, oh, hey, Magic are pretty good. So obviously they still have a lot of the consistency things that a young team is going to struggle with when right now the only player, the only two players in their top nine who are older than um, than 24 are Gary Harris and, and Terrence Ross. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to have some of those, but they've been – They've been dynamic, and I think it's fun because they're they're going to be the team that people are going to talk about and be like, oh, well, what if they just, you know, like we're really all in for Wemby this year? Or what if they were able to go lower so they could get scoot? And like for what it's worth, they're not going to finish high enough where I think I'm all that worried about them just like dropping out of the top seven in the lottery or something. But like I think that the experience that they're getting this year is really valuable for what they're trying to do and being a team that I think is going to take the jump next year. Um like obviously yeah. what they get in this next draft, I think like they really need movement shooting as we've talked about. Like I think that's still the biggest glaring weakness on this team um, is having somebody who can really be a movement shooter that opens up things offensively. Um, but I mean, you, you just, you, you really see them in some of these games start to find some stuff and like, like Paolo, he went from a guy who like, I, I know we, we deferred on this a little bit. Like I, I think I was pretty clear, clear cut, like Paolo number one, the entire way. And this is not I, saying I was not, right. Yeah. Or, yeah. Cause I'm yeah. not saying this is right or wrong, but I think part of why I was is some of the passing stuff that we are seeing from him over the last month is like, yes, yeah. the passing, the creation, like he had yeah. a late isolation. I'm trying to, hold on, I'm trying to pull up which game it was, I want to say it was the Boston game. So in the Boston game, they just like flipped in the ball, late dribble creation. Um, the things that he's doing with the ball in his hands have been just mesmerizing to watch. Like he's so good. And I I love this team. They're very fun. Well, I love them. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the guards because I think as much as anything, like Markel Fultz and Gary Harris getting back, it just kind of slides everyone down, right? Like I think Cole Anthony, I know that Magic fans are super fucking frustrated with Cole Anthony right now. I think he's actually gotten like better this yeah. year. You see the way he plays at tempo a little bit more. He needs to shoot it at like a really, really high level. And that hasn't quite happened as much as we want to see yet. But I think that his mix of passing and like gunning for himself has really improved and helped in terms of like running the team and running like an actual concept that makes them better as opposed to making Cole better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, like there are going to just be defensive liabilities, but that's why I always have liked him most as like a third guard, right? I think he's, you're probably a little bit, you know, underqualified to be a starting point guard in the NBA and maybe 
Cole Anthony wants to be a starting point guard in the NBA when you listen to him. Like I know that he went on a rant uh, after one of their games, not in like a negative way against the coaching staff or anything. He just said, I'm a starter in this league. Like that's how I feel about it. Like I come in off the bench, but I, I'm good enough to be a starter. I don't know if I'm quite there necessarily, yeah. but I think he's really, I think he's good. Like, I think he's a really impactful, useful player in the NBA. And I, I don't think that necessarily if be a starter to be able to do that, uh, having Fultz around, I think Fultz is just better than he is, frankly. Like I think Fultz gets his teammates involved at a really high level. I think that the defense is just way more impactful and, and they kind of have, like they don't have enough scoring out there, but I think the offense runs better when it's running through guys like Franz and Paulo as opposed to Cole when he's out there and it still is like a little bit more geared toward like the Cole Anthony show than what you'd want. Mm-hmm. Uh, while he has still improved in that regard. And I want to like acknowledge the fact that he has really improved in that regard. Um, but yeah, like the, this front court is just what's unbelievable about them, right? Like Wendell Carter, Jonathan Isaac are like the third and fourth best guys. And on most other teams, when you have those young guys there, assuming that Isaac gets back to being a modicum of what he was previously, if those are your third and fourth guys, like most other teams, they'd be like the one and two, like best prospects on the team or like, you know, best 24 and under guys on the team. I mean, goodness, like Franz and Paulo, I love the way that they can play off of one another. Like it does frustrate me from time to time that it does seem like Franz. I don't want to say defers because I think that that would be the wrong word. But I think he kind of like slides. He he is happy playing a role and being someone that moves the ball around the court, makes the right read, processes the game super well. I wish he would be a little bit more aggressive some games. Like there are games like against New Orleans. Uh, what was that? I think it was last weekend where he was just like unbelievable. The first half against the Pelicans was one of the best halves I've seen anyone play uh, you know, 23 and under in the NBA this year. He had like 29 points or something. He was passing. He was playmaking. Like he was decision-making at a super high level. He was knocking down threes. He was finishing at the rim. Like his finishing has gone super underrated this year, I think, as a skill set. He's just really good. Like I'm honestly at the point now where if you wanted to say that you trust Franz more than Paulo to become like the Orlando Magic star – I think I still believe in Paulo's upside a little bit more just in terms of the handle and the shake and the creation, but goodness, Franz has made that a conversation, which is kind of terrifying for the rest of the league. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I think, um, but I mean, for me, if I, again, like I, like I said earlier, if I had to give the all-star nod to somebody, it would be Franz off this team. Yeah. I think, like, again, like, just looking at also this year, like, no, I don't think anybody from Orlando deserves it just based on what this year has been. But I think there there should be, like, legitimate, like, think if if the if the Magic, like, go on some, like, random winning streak before all-star voting is done, which it is already just about done. Um, yeah. Like, I think you can make the case. But, yeah, it's exactly. But by the way, I'm just terrified to do – I think at some point next week I'm going to have to do, like, all-star, like, picks and reserves and everything. And I'm just terrified. Because no, it is guaranteed this year to make somebody angry. The Eastern Conference forward picture is such a shit show. Mm-hmm. Like, you basically have to pick between Julius Randle and Bam Adebayo is what it comes down to. Like, the, you have to make a choice between one of those two guys. And that sucks because they are both 
unequivocally like all-star caliber players. I can already tell I you right now, it. I hear Heat fans typing saying like, you dumb motherfucker, how do you not have Bam first? But like, Julius I know, and put really good this year. Like it's, I think I would lean Bam, but like exactly. Like, I mean, I think I would too. I? Yeah. But easier said than done to just like fully put my thumb on it. Especially too, if you look like just January splits, like, I mean, come on, Julius has been awesome. But like, but then again, like, uh, did you watch what was the Heat game? Uh, I think it was the game against Boston. The Heat yeah, game. I was gonna say I watched. That oh one. my god, Bam was so good. We're, we're gonna talk about that game later on when we do yeah. defensive player of the year top five. Cool, because Bam was really good. Sneaky, by the way, Haywood Highsmith was awesome. In that <laughs> yes, he was. He was guarding. <laughs> he was that so game. good. Shout out Haywood Highsmith. Like had to defend Jason Tatum for like long swaths of time and did pretty well on him. Uh. Okay, so here's my thing with the Magic. I've seen a few people in the YouTube comments ask, how should they approach the deadline? I mean, I have an idea that I think Magic fans are like not going to love. I think What's that, that they sh- should... Look, I think they should look to move Mobamba probably just because, look, he's out of the rotation. They're playing Mo Wagner ahead of him. Jonathan Isaac's back. It's hard to find minutes for Mo. I also sneaky think that this is the time to cash in on Bull Bull. And I would be interested to see what his, I would be gauging what his value is on the market at the very least. If the market is not as high as what I think it could be. Like, I think I wonder if they can get a late first round pick for him. Uh, I I would want to know that. And if I could get a late first round pick for Bull Bull, I would. Here's the reason why. Year and a half left on his deal. This magic front court, I just don't know where the true minutes come from for Bull, right? If everybody is healthy, like you have Wendell Carter at center who can also play the four. You have Franz Wagner who can play basically anywhere two through four. You have Paulo Bancaro who like plays as like a point, like offense initiator where also he's playing at like the four and the four is probably his best position. You have Jonathan Isaac as well who is going to come in and like kind of demand minutes. Jonathan Isaac is really good. And obviously you have this case that, you know, Jonathan Isaac is, you know, they have like this weird contract with him that has kicked in with the injuries where I think he's non-guaranteed next year, uh, or at least like minimally guaranteed. Like they could get out of the contract, I think at like seven and a half million dollars or something like that. Based on what we've seen, I probably wouldn't, do that but if he's playing and i would assume he's playing there's no room really for bowl in that case and if there's no room for bowl you're just going to kind of see his value like kind of diminish 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 and i wonder if there's real space to actually move him in a deal that like makes sense for them and and here's the other thing I really have enjoyed Bull Bull. I think it's been great to see him become like a real genuine NBA player. And he is like, he has become a real genuine NBA rotation player. He's a really bad defender to the point where like, I wonder how valuable he is like long-term in the NBA. He could improve in that respect, but his lateral quickness, his instincts, they just really are not up to snuff on that end. And 
it's been fun. It's been really cool to watch. He's been productive. His game is novel in some ways. Like it's different than Victor. It's a bit different than Chet. Like he can handle the ball a little bit more. But I just wonder if on like a winning team, what does what does this look like? He doesn't really rebound well enough. Doesn't move his feet well enough in space. Like I, I wonder what the role is that makes sense. And I don't know. I don't know what to do with that right now. Well, it's hard because I think part of what made him – and not even – I mean, he hasn't been good lately. He hasn't really been in the rotation as much either. But, like, I think what yeah. is difficult is that a lot of what made him exciting and impactful early on in the year is how much they leaned into him. Like, they really just said, okay, yeah. we're going to let you rip and run in transition. We're going to play pretty strictly zone because we have no guards, so we need to play big and try and mess things up that way. Um, and they really empowered him to do things. And I think, like, A, that was good for – what he was doing as a player and for his development, but also like, I think he's just like, he's, um, he's just in an odd spot and what he brings impact wise. Yeah. Cause like, like we talked about this, he really only has it as like a, uh, either shooting above the break or as a pull-up shooter, because the, like the shot release is still really slow. Um, especially yeah. if you like station him in the corners or something like he, all, almost all of the shots that have been blocked have been on corner threes this year. Um, like the passing is still just like, for the most part, like there are every now and again, you get one of the occasional like, whoa, that, how did that happen? Yeah. But then you also get the, whoa, how did that happen? Like yesterday, <laughs> I, I, I tweeted this out and you know me, I like rarely tweet anything negative about a player, but I think that was the worst pass I'd seen this year. Um, yeah. And like, that's just, that's part of the bull bull experience. So I, on one hand, like I would hate to see him get traded just because it finally feels like he had found a spot and like things are working. And, um, but exactly like you mentioned, like it's okay. Well, what does this look like moving forward when he doesn't really have quite the same role anymore? And um, yeah, it's a, it's an odd spot. Um, I would, I'm just, again, I'm just happy that he's gotten to, to even yeah. find himself at all this year, but. Um, yeah, me too. But I think that, I think there's a reasonable chance that, the magic could convince a team like you have one and a half years left of bull at a like low level price at the deadline where finances are often very like tight, especially for teams that are over the cap into the luxury tax. Like I wonder if there's a space where for the magic, they could have a wider bidding war than what people think and hopefully be able to like, you know, get a little bit more on him than what is worthwhile, maybe is the way to put it. Because again, like if I was a contending team, like I don't know how much I would trust Bull Bull necessarily, but like, would you rather acquire Bull Bull or Serge Ibaka right now uh, on the market, right? Like I would rather take the flyer on Bull at the very least, like knowing that maybe it works out reasonably well. Yeah, I think I would probably just pass on either if i'm trying to win games right now but i i don't mean that to be unfair i just like i i like the, with the whole surge thing i was just like i don't i mean i feel bad that it hasn't worked for him in milwaukee but if it's not gonna work there where they clearly targeted him to try and bring in somebody who was gonna fill that void that they were missing and it hasn't worked i just don't see where it's gonna work uh underrated milwaukee might be interesting for bull maybe I do think Bud's going to just be like good. as a flyer to see what it looks like. I just, I, I, if you don't play defense, I yeah, mean, we've seen, we've seen that's the Jordan true. war experience in, in Milwaukee. And I just struggle yeah. to think that Bud would be 
super in love with playing bowl minutes. You're right. But, that was um, a bad take on my part. No, you're right. good. I just like, <laughs> exactly like trying to think through that stuff. I'm like, I have no idea what to think. Um, uh, what have you thought of, let's finish here. What have you thought of Paulo over the last month? He's been interesting. I think there's been some inefficiency that has continued to crop up, but he's still a foul magnet, uh, you know, still dishing out really, really high level passes, as you mentioned earlier in the show. You'll probably has dropped off a little bit from, you know, the start of the season. Now that people have tape on him, have played against him once or twice, maybe know a little bit more about how to attack him. What would have been your overall thoughts so far? Yeah. Um, I mean, the shot still has never quite come around from outside for him. Like he's had stretches right. where it's looked better. I think it's still, it's been about what I expected this year. I didn't think he was going to step in and be like a 35% plus three point shooter on volume. I just appreciate that there's no hesitancy. Like that's my biggest thing with him. I think hesitancy in any capacity would totally cap his ceiling. So I've appreciated that there hasn't been any there. Um, I think teams have been a little bit better at matching up with his physicality more so like they're still, I mean, he's still getting the line seven and a half times a game since Christmas, but like I think teams have been better at impacting the shot around the rim and trying to, you know, wall off some of his drives, trying to meet him later instead of having, instead of, you know, being actually meeting him out farther. Um, and giving him more of those driving lanes. So I think that there's been some of that. But um, to his credit, too, like, I mean, like we mentioned, I think the passing has, like, just popped even that much more for me. Like, he's just in such control of his game right now and finding himself in the half court as a playmaker um, and, like, showing himself as, like, the pretty clear number one guy on the team. Um, I've felt good about that. But, yeah, I think he's going through as small of a rookie wall comparatively as I think he can. Um <laughs> So that, I, I've I've enjoyed him a lot, though. Yeah, no, I, I've enjoyed watching him play. I've really, really enjoyed watching the Magic. The thing that I wanted to mention that Saruti told me is over the last little while here, and I'll, I'll pull up this metric that he sent me. I think he got it from like some Instagram account. Uh, over the last, you know, actually, no, it's just like straight up uh, since. Starting on January 19th, sorry, I was pulling up this number here. Uh, the best five-man lineups uh, in the NBA, the best one is the Denver Nuggets, you know, with their starting lineup, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's actually minus Jamal Murray and with Bruce Brown. Uh, the second best five-man lineup in the NBA so far this season, Markel Fultz, Gary Harris, Franz Wagner, Paulo Bancaro, Wendell Carter, plus 23.2 about a month ago. Uh, or no, about a week ago, I'm sorry, uh, when this number was taken. I think that goes to show like how much upside this team really has now that they have their guards back. They're outperforming teams at a really, really high level. And oh, by the way, since like this metric, uh, I like, you know, got sent this metric, they've gone out, they've beaten Indiana, they've gone out, you know, they beat Boston in a game, right? Like, I don't know. I, I'm just extremely excited and in on this entire group of guys. Like, I, I think that this is the team to watch moving forward kind of across the NBA is like a team that could really skyrocket. But moreover, I'm really interested to see how they transition this with the draft picks they have this year. Like they're currently slated for number five and number eight in the NBA draft because this is the year where the Chicago Bulls pick for Nikola Vucevic transfers. Uh, the just gift that keeps on giving for the Orlando Magic at this point. Uh, it, they have a chance in this draft particularly to like really, really solidify their core 
Like this is a team that you've mentioned could use just a little bit more outside shooting, right? Can you imagine them getting like Brandon Miller and Grady Dick on this roster? Or like, God forbid, if they get Scoot Henderson on this roster, like, are you kidding me? This magic team has a chance to be like terrifyingly good depending on how the lottery shakes out for them moving forward. Yeah. I think what I'm most interested to see, and not that I've heard anything on this, but uh, just based on the way that, you know, Orlando has, has approached this, the way that they've talked about approaching this window, I'm curious to see if they, not even that it's pushing all their chips in because they have a lot to work with, but if they get kind of aggressive in saying, Hey, if there's somebody who, it's like 27, 28 that has a decent amount of time left on their contract that um, if that situation ends up being right for us, like I could see them being willing to make a move that brings them in like a, a higher level guard um, or somebody that rounds them out more as they try and turn the corner a little bit more next year. Not that they're going into title yep. contention or anything, but um, they are hitting an interesting point where it's almost like they do kind of have to start getting a veteran presence in because like we've seen with some teams, like, you, yes, you can have this plethora of awesome young players, but at the same time, you have to really find that balance of um, yeah. having a lot of guys you want to develop while also having guys who help maximize them. And I think, again, they're part of having everybody healthy again has helped them find that. But even headed into the trade deadline, like we just talked about, I think that there's some stuff to shift around and figure out there. Like, clearly, Mo hasn't been happy in his role. Um like, I, I think he definitely wants to – not that he – you know, well, I, I think they wanted things to work out in Orlando. It just hasn't. Well, and look, like, I, I, I hope that Mo Bamba gets traded, to be honest. Like, I, I just yeah. really want to see him in a different location at this point. I, I think he has some real upside. I think he has some real uh, potential as a rim protector that can step out and shoot threes off the catch, maybe in some pick and pops. Like Boston, I think would be really interesting as a spot for Mo. I know that they're kind of looking for depth at the center position at the very least, given the way that they play. Uh, I think that Phoenix would be kind of interesting. I know that Jock Lawndale has had some really good moments, especially earlier in the year uh, as a center. I, I think that, you know, if you could do something like Jay Crowder for Mo Bamba, that seems like somewhat interesting to me. I, I know I saw a report that Phoenix is looking for like, two out of three of a good rotation player yeah, first ridiculous. round pick or like a young player. And I was like, are you crazy? Not happening. Like, like no way. Yeah. That's you. You can ask for that, but you know, maybe when the deadline comes, if you stay to that price, Jay Crowder is still going to be a Phoenix son. <laughs> exactly. So I, mean, I like, yeah. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm just interested to see what happens because it's not even now at the trade deadline. I think that's something I'm interested to see how how they approach this and you know towards the off season. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's. I mean, this is a team to be really excited about. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break, and we will be back to do NBA Defensive Player of the Year top fives, which was one of the most miserable prep experiences I feel like I've ever had in my life. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. 
That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Okay, Mark, let's go. NBA Defensive Player of the Year midseason top fives. So I really struggled with this. <laughs> I really, really struggled with this. I got down to like six or seven names where I felt really good about it. And by the way, they're all bigs. Like, how do you feel about that this year, just overall as a defensive uh, environment across the NBA? It does feel like bigs are the guys that are actually making like the biggest impact league-wide. With all due respect to guys like OG Ananobi, Drew Holiday, I, I think Alex Caruso's had a really good year defensively. Like All of those other perimeter players that, you know, uh, it's hard for them now. It's really, really hard in such a perimeter-oriented NBA. Yeah. Um I think for me, like exactly, I think bigs have been better. And I think the biggest thing that I want to hit on too, uh, like defense has still been good this year. Um, like I think that you, you see a ton uh, from really impactful, good defenders from really impactful, yeah. good defenses. And I know that the numbers don't always bear it out. It We've seen what offensive efficiency and stuff looks like this year. And I get that it can make it seem like there isn't defense being played, but I think it's just more so about what the state of NBA, and this is not the bitch, but like, I think it's part of, you know, NBA officiating less on the officials, more about how the rule rules are coordinated and whatnot. They got to make some changes to it. In my opinion, like I put a like small thread on Twitter, but like the to me, at least this year has been like extremely egregious with moving screens. And I think that has just, <laughs> Like absolutely yeah. cratered and nailed some defenses. And I think that's been one of the biggest drivers. Like, honestly, if you regularly called a moving screen, I think that we see efficiency drop back down quite a bit. Like early offense, interior screens. Like I cannot, I swear to God, every like nine out of every 10 interior screens should be called a moving screen without it <laughs> right now in the NBA. But enough of that. Uh, the defense has been fun, man. Um, yeah. 
Look, like marginally, you can tell the difference between a good defender and like an average defender and not a great defender. Uh, it's just that it's so hard to defend in today's NBA. There's so much space to cover. Offenses have gotten so, so good at figuring out how to utilize that space. And I think that offenses have also figured out the right mix of superstar to role player utilization. Like more and more, we are seeing more heliocentric offensive players and because of that, I think that if those guys have the ball in their hands more, it's just harder to deal with. If the best players have the ball in their hands more, it makes it harder for defenses. So, yeah, I mean, it's really hard. I, I like I I do not envy defenses right now across the league, but I will say I think that scoring is up because defense or because it's just so hard to defend not because defense is bad, like defense is really good. Like you can find defenders that are amazing. You can find a lot of defenders that are really good. You can find even more defenders that are average league wide. It's just that team defense is so hard now across the league because of how much space they have to cover due to the three point line, due to the way that offenses have figured out how to stretch out defenses. It's just very, very difficult. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And I think that's part of, what for me has made uh, watching some of these guys pop even more that much more entertaining and exciting because I think you see some guys who it's been like through versatility. Like it's not guys who are thriving just because they do one thing. It's guys who are really capable of doing yeah. multiple things well. And I mean, yeah. Are you ready to just unveil our top five? Or so you- let's do it. So top fives. I want to say at the top here, the guys that I – Ended up with it six and seven. Did you have either of these guys on your top five? Uh, Miles Turner? No. Okay. I had Miles at seven. Joel Embiid? Uh, I mean, he he wouldn't be top five, but he'd be in my top seven. See, so not to yeah. go on a whole thing, but uh, I just struggle with Joel. Like, I think more like Joel is a very real, true, clear-cut MVP candidate. I think so much of that gets – I get frustrated with how – it, often it feels like that gets dispelled. He's been awesome this year. But the defense, I do think there are fair gripes to have. Like, he does take games off. And that's not even to say, like, that – and this is more like me saying why I would not have him in my top five. Because I know people will get mad that he's not in my quote-unquote defensive player of the year conversation. But, like, there are very clear games where he does not compete to his highest level as a defender. And for me, awards are about consistency not highest level production so it's a mix of the two obviously but i think i i would not have Joel there i had i would have him in the top 10 just like you mentioned but top five no. uh, yeah so i i really struck i had like a i had six basically mm-hmm. like miles turner was my clear seventh i had six guys where i was like these are these are the dudes i think and Joel was number six for me uh honestly i kind of defaulted to him at number six because he played 32 games and has been a little bit so like Jaron Jackson I think has played 35 games he's played 32 the difference is Jaron just like brings it every single night right whereas Joel has probably played like you know two-thirds of his games at a really really high level defensively like early this season he was just not quite as good defensively like he wasn't moving as well his footwork was not as good there was a lot of stuff in like ball screen coverages where I thought that like he was stuck in the mud a little bit too often but over the last little while now, he's been very locked in, it feels like to me. And if you look at their defensive numbers, so this is a great defensive team, obviously. 
when he's on the court, they have a 110.1 defensive rating. That's like top of the league level numbers. And it's not like he's surrounded by great defenders like James Harden. Tobias Harris has worked hard to become like average on that end, but not like a significant impact defender. Tyrese Maxey, not like a significant impact defender. Anthony Melton and PJ Tucker, like I will grant you, have been really good defenders. Matisse Thibel is a really good defender in the limited minutes he plays. Like Joel is the one that's like carrying this top five defense right now. So I, I, I ultimately defaulted because of, like you said, the lack of consistency, but I do need to acknowledge that like what Joel is doing, he contests more shots than anybody other than Demonis Sabonis at the rim in the league this year. And the reason that Sabonis contests as many shots as he does is because teams are like trying to attack Demonis there. I think that Joel, they're not attacking as much, but he's been really impactful rotationally to make his presence felt there defensively at a really high level. So I want to acknowledge Joel. I think he's been great. Mm -hmm. Okay. I will give you the first pick. Number five, who is your number five guy uh, in the defensive player of the year race? Uh, so I had to toggle between this one. Um, I had – so I, I I just want to give a couple really quick. I Did you have yeah. this guy in your top five? Because this is not somebody who I did have in my top five. I had him in my top eight, did not have him top five. Yep. OG Ananobi. I uh, had him at eight. So, yeah. yeah. I'll just say it's been tough. Like, he's still been very good, but he is not at the same level he was earlier to start the year. Um, Agree. So, it's just – that happens. Still been really good. It's going to make all defense for me. Um, yep. Another just out guy, Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson has been awesome this year. Yeah. He's been so good this year. Um, Like, he's – I think we've talked about – we talked about this during our – the one pie when we talked about the Knicks. But, like, his added ability to really defend in the post now – and become yep. a better defensive rebounder um, has been huge. He's been a large reason for why that defense has been so good. Um, I would have him up there. Um, so number five for me, I'm going to go Jared Allen. Um, that is also my number five. Awesome. Oh, wow. Like okay. Yeah. All right. All right. We're, uh, we're Okay. We're, Give me the Jared Allen pitch. No, I mean, I think – it's tough because, like, I think Evan Mobley is all defense worthy as well. But to me, it's just been more. You you see the drop off when Jared doesn't play. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to put into words how much, how how different. And part of it is just not having the size. Like, if you don't have two seven footers on court who are as mobile, who are as smart as Jared and, and Evan, you see the drop off. Um, yeah. And honestly, it's just hurt Evan because he's been the one who's more healthy. So you see it, it, it impacts him negatively. I think it's been a lot of what has driven his advanced numbers down. But with Jarrett, I mean, he's still so good defending on switches. Um, his pick and roll play has been fantastic this year. We'll also have like, honestly, I think sneakily, like it doesn't get enough shine how good Donovan and Darius have been defensively this year. Like Donovan in their particularly. Yeah, yeah. Like Darius is like. Obviously, like he's going to get picked on in isolation and stuff, but he's a really good off-ball defender. Like he really works to do everything he can to not be a negative. He's never going to be perfect, but I think like he really fights to be good. Um, and especially like you just mentioned too, like Donovan's been awesome, but like Jarrett holds everything together. The rim protection is stellar. Yep. Um, he can kind of just defend anybody in a pinch, and they've needed it at times this year. It's helped. You know, Isaac Okoro has really started to find something of late, which that's probably a future pod. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I would just be there with him for this. I think he should have been in consideration last year um, with how good the Cavs defense has been overall. Yeah, I'm there. 
Yeah, I think his coverage in ball screens has gotten a lot better. Even when he gets strung out now, he actually can really move his feet. And he's, look, you don't want him to be out there for more than like five or six slides, right? Or like maybe even you don't want him to be out there for five or six slides. You really want him to be out there for like four slides, right? Where like there are, you know, five and under left uh, on the shot clock, right? But he can manage himself out there in those situations pretty well, I think now. Mm-hmm. Uh the way he baits defenders in ball screens now when they play and drop like that cat and mouse game, I think is really, really improved his level of rotational awareness defensively. I think has really improved. That was something that I've mentioned previously. I think I started talking about this last year where when he was younger in his Nets days, I thought that sometimes he could get, uh, I don't know if lazy is the right word. I don't know if he like didn't have the recognition yet, just being a younger player. Uh, I felt like, you could kind of get him on the weak side a little bit. And you could also get him like chasing blocks on the weak side. I think he's gotten way better about just being big and being impactful at the rim. Uh, You look at his numbers at the basket this season, opponents shooting only 54% at the rim against him. He does contest like a little bit more often than some of the elite rim protectors that we're probably going to talk about at the top there. But I do think part of that is that he's playing next to Evan Mobley, who is also contesting quite a bit at the basket. So I think he's been just awesome. I think he has been fantastic uh at this point defensively would have him in my top five i think that if you want to give him a vote be like number three overall defensively i would be willing to like manage that yeah okay i'll go to number four now i have bam at a bio at number four and i thought i would end up with him a couple spots higher but ultimately i ended up with him just a couple lower at the end mm-hmm. of the day yeah no i'm cool with that i have him at number two personally yeah. um i'm cool with having him you know, kind of wherever I think for me, I mean, I have a clear cut number one, but I think everybody like when you're looking at two through four, I'm cool with really kind of toggling around with those. Um, So yes. What is your pitch for having a number four? So Bam is the most switchable big in the NBA, just straight up. He is unbelievable moving his feet on the perimeter. He is just a straight switch big. Like I think he is the one guy in the league where I feel completely confident with him guarding one through five. Like OG and Anobi, I feel pretty good about it, but there are like some fives that I think can hit him, right? With Bam, like, look, is he going to be the best guy that you could possibly have defending Joel Embiid? No, but he is really good at it. Like he's effective doing it. Uh, The way that their defensive schemes, like they can flip and swap their schemes because Bam is such an integral chess piece to what they're doing. Like depending on the matchup, like they can play a little bit of zone. They can play a little bit of like, you know, heavy switch ball screen coverages. They'll be willing to drop occasionally. They'll blitz guy. Like they can just do so many different things. And it's because Bam is there to just be the guy that does it all. Right. Uh, that versatility, I think, is why they're such an impactful defense. I believe that they're sitting at number three overall in defensive efficiency right now, uh, league wide. Why did I bam a couple of spots lower than these guys? So the on off numbers in terms of his impact are a little bit lower. Like they are one point worse when he is off the court versus when he's on the court defensively. I'm okay with that. Like that's not the biggest deal in the world to me, but then there's also the fact that his overall defensive rating when he's on the court, like his uh, you know, what the heat's defensive rating are when he's on the court is, I guess uh, 111.2. That's a little bit lower than the guys that I currently have above him uh, or right around the mark for the guy that I have at number three. And for me, 
this team has good defenders. Like Jimmy Butler, when he's been out there, is like a really, really good, impactful defender. Kyle Lowry is, you know, a little bit diminished from what he was, but he's a smart defender and like knows how to play within all of these coverages. Uh, you know, like they, they have guys like Max Struess knows what he's doing out there at the very least. He gets attacked here and there, but like for the most part, like if he's the guy that's getting attacked, like you're probably in a pretty good spot. I think Caleb Martin's really improved defensively. Like, yeah, they have their weak spots. Like hero is a weak spot. The teams try to hit, but then you have guys like Haywood Highsmith who come in, who is useful. Like it's weird to me that this team is not quite as good defensively with Bam in the middle, which when these these guys are so close two through four they're so tight i ended up just docking him a little bit there what is your case for him at number two given that you have him there yeah i mean i'm in the same boat i probably just care a little bit less about the on-offs because my issues are more so with like i i just struggle with this heat team um but I, i struggle with his rim protection as well like he's He's just a lower level rim protector than some of these guys because he's smaller, right? Yeah, I, I think like, that's fair. But I think to me, it's yeah. more like I, I, it's just hard because I wish I feel like he would not, not even that he's put in bad scenarios. Like I think genuinely, like his defense at the same as OG, except to a, a lesser level. Like I don't think his, his defense has still been extremely, extremely good. That's why it's this conversation. But like since he took on even more of a scoring burden over like the last month and a half. Um, I think it's slipped a little bit. Again, that's not saying it's been a ton, but like still been very good. Nakai Duncan talked about this yesterday. I'd been talking about him about it with him as well. Uh before he tweeted that out, just about like I think his as I mean, it's a natural progression to see a guy who has become like I and this is my way of saying like this has been Bam's team this year. Um oh, I totally. think Bam's been like, the clear cut number yeah. one on this team. No, I've, like, I've seen people. I've seen people have like Jimmy Butler as like the All Star for the Miami. No, that yeah, is no. absolutely bonkers. Um, no, like it, it's Bam. Uh, it's a hundred percent Bam. <laughs> exactly. So that's again, like he's gone from like the one hundredth percentile defender to like ninety eighth percentile defender. That's still really, really darn good. So I agree. And I think my biggest issue with the Heat overall is just their lack of size always bothers me. Like it's bothered me in <laughs> yeah. other years, but this is the year that I think it's like really gotten to me. Um, yeah. Like I like Caleb Martin. It's just asking too much for him to play the four most of the time. Yep, um, I agree with that. I it, it's like, and the, the issue too is like when you have Caleb Martin playing the four. Okay, well Max Drews is playing the three, or like somebody who's six five is playing the three. I'm like, it's just it's too small. Yep. And for the way that they want to play too, um, it just doesn't work for me. I know it works for them. It's how they want to play. Well, and they're they're multiple. Like that's I, I guess that's the thing. Like they're. Do you know, like, I guess the the thing that I struggle with them sometimes is like, they're so versatile in the things that they do a lot of the time that like, I struggle a little bit with knowing, I know what their goals are. Their goals are to play pressure defense, right? Like they want to like really, really pressure you. Yeah. And I I don't know. I mean, like they do it in different ways. Like it's hard for me to come up with like an overarching, like, you know theme beyond just like pressure for them right like with milwaukee they're just like drop covering you right and they're trying to feed everyone to broke they're trying to feed everyone into the rim and then they're gonna like use that ball pressure from behind from drew holiday uh where he's able to recover the top of screens like they have like a true real defensive identity like miami has like a defensive identity just insofar as like they're gonna play aggressive they're gonna be tough they're gonna be really physical and they're gonna be able to move really well that's the benefit of playing smaller is that you know 
they do move really well out there. But yeah, like it, I struggle with like the identity piece of it from time to time as well, I guess. And, and like the other thing is too, that like this size, right? We're talking about this size all the time. They're still the second best defensive rebounding team in the league. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't kill them on the glass because Bam is really good on the glass. Jimmy's good on the glass. Like they, they have guys that rebound. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. They're, they're in a, they're in an interesting spot, the heat. And I can't, I agree with you. I can't really figure out what to do with them yet. Cause obviously the offense is really bad as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird place, but um, well, I'm ready to move on to the next. Who do I wait? Okay. Oh, did I do who I have it for? Yeah. Who is your number four? Nick Claxton. Um, yeah, that's my number three. So we're yeah. we're going to be, I think, in this. We're going to have the same top five at the very least, just in yeah, a different probably. order. I think. Yeah, Clax has been awesome this year, and I think last night was a really good encapsulation of that he gave. I mean, you can look at what Joel's box score was, but he gave Joel Embiid more problems in isolation defense than I think anybody has this year. Like, yeah, he was really good. Um, and I think part you, I mean, you saw some of the limits of Brooklyn's defense last night without having KD. I think you can see some of the lack of size really pop up with yep. how they were trying to play offensively too. But that's been more so to Clax's credit. Like his switchability has been awesome. I think he's the best switch defender as a big in the league outside of um, Bam. Yeah, outside of Bam. So like yep. that's exactly where I'm at. Um, and then the rim protection has been awesome. Like, and he's the same thing as like, obviously in a different way, but like same thing as Mitch Rob, like he's gotten so much better with his physicality and being able to defend the post as we saw last night playing as Joel. Like that's a guy who gets eaten alive in the post last year. And now like he, he has the core strength and ability to really stand guys yep. up and, and be impactful in that way. And again, just the rim protection has been awesome too. Like he's been like, I mean, overall I couldn't get there with some of the all-star talk this year, but he's legitimately been their third best player this year. So wait, I, there are people talking about Nick Claxton as an all-star. There was a small push for, for Nick Claxton yeah. all-star, and I could not get there, but he has been extremely yeah, no. impressive and I think deserves all defense without question. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like I'm all in on Nick Claxton this year. I think he's been phenomenal. I mean, again, as mentioned previously, like we're talking about like, there's a very real conversation about whether or not Joel Embiid or, or not Joel Embiid, I'm sorry. Uh, Pat or, uh, you know, Bam Adebayo or Julius Randle is going to get an all-star berth. Mm-hmm. Nick Claxton's a little bit down the road here, as great yeah. as he's been. Uh, Nick has been phenomenal, though, defensively. Like, I'm so glad you brought up that core strength because that that is the key. Like, he could get bullied, like, at times last year. Like, significantly could get bullied. And now, like you said, like, I, I was honestly, like, watching that game, like, against the 76ers, I was like, wait he actually can like kind of manage this matchup with Joel Embiid now. Like he's yeah. actually frustrating Joel in a really like substantial, significant way. Yeah. I, think I didn't me, know that, that he game, could do that. That game was like his, for me, all defense candidacy. Like I, yes. I would have had him, I mean, point being like, I would have had him on regardless, but I think every year there's like a game or two that really sticks in your mind of when a guy really earned that nod. And I think yesterday was that for me. Cause I think so much of if, he played this way last year for a stretch. People would be like, well, he can't guard in the post. But, like, I think that's very right. clearly just not true now. And I just want to use this to say, too, like, his improvements as an offensive player have been a joy to watch. Like, I think you saw some of it start to come to fruition last year. But now he, like, yep. really can fluidly put the ball in the deck once or twice, take it to the rim. Like, he's not a perfect short roll guy, but I think it's really improved and gotten better. Um, just the overall ball handling is solid from him. And it's fun because – 
he was one of the guys before I even really got super into the draft. I watched him at Georgia a little bit, and I remember being so enamored with him because, yeah. as you are well aware, the Tom Crean Georgia experience was something else. And um, like, he but was, here's the thing that Tom knew: Tom knew that he could handle the ball. Well, exactly. And like Tom let him rock about, like, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was part of what was really interesting about Nick. And I think this is the first year where you're really seeing it all come together. Um, yep. I mean, he's leading the league in uh, for among qualifying players leading the league in two-point percentage and field goal percentage. And it's not just dunks. Like, yes, he's dunked like 115 times this year, but he's kind of developing a little bit of a post game. It, you want to see it more come out of it. You want to see more with touch shots and stuff because it hasn't quite come along yet. But really encouraging signs of development from him. I'm yeah. very excited about his direction. Yeah, and here's the other thing. Like, I think Brooklyn has really cleaned up a lot of the defensive kind of issues that they have had throughout the year for the most part, like, or like in the past uh, with this roster iteration with Kyrie and KD. And then, you know, obviously they had Harden for a while, right? Like Claxton's the biggest reason for that, but like the Royce O'Neal edition has been helpful in that regard. Obviously Simmons, like people will complain about him not looking at the rim, but he has been impactful defensively. Yuta Watanabe has been smart defensively at the very least. Like they, they have guys that are out there that are smart defensively and like make the right moves. Mm-hmm. And KD's obviously taken like a substantial leap from where he was the last couple of years defensively. I think this season he's been like a borderline all defense candidate. Like I, I would probably have him in my top twenty for all the or for defensive player of the year at the very least. Uh, I don't know if I can get him to top ten necessarily, but yeah, I think that Nick is the biggest piece of that. He's the central piece. He's the switchable guy. He's the guy that allows them to play disparate coverages. Like they can just straight switch at the. Uh, level like they can just straight play a drop with him where he is just using his size to be on the interior and cause issues like his length is real like he's a seven foot three wingspan he's six foot eleven like he he is like an enormous dude out there that also has great feet his instincts have really improved i think he is unequivocally a top five defender in the nba this season i had him at number three you had him at number four uh I would imagine that your number three was Brooke Lopez, right? That is correct. I had Brooke at number two. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Brooke. The thing that just is so abundantly clear within their defense is that, yes, Giannis also makes their defense work at an exceptionally high level. But I think Brooke is the thing that takes them to being great. Uh, we saw it last season where – Giannis like literally had to carry that defense on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. He carried it to the point where it was like a top 15 defense in the league, right? They are like unequivocally the number one defense in the league. Now that Brooke is back. And part of that is the synergy that Giannis and Brooke have together. And I would have Giannis somewhere in my top 15 for, you know, defensive player of the year right now. He is a great, great, great defender. I think he's been, slightly worse this year defensively. And I think that he is able to be that because he knows that he has Brooke back there. Like, I think that when we get to the playoffs, like Giannis's level is just going to pick right back up defensively. I don't think he's any worse defensively. I just think that the level this season has been a little bit worse because he knows that Brooke is there. He knows that they can just filter everything toward Brooke Lopez and Brooke is going to be the guy that just completely like blocks out the sun, right? Uh, opponents are shooting only 53% at the rim when he is the primary rim protector. They have a 109.5 defensive rating when he is out there. That is five points better than when he's off the court. Uh, And that is a monster defensive rating when he is on the court. That's like by far best in the league, essentially by like a point and a half, I think. Uh, 
the other thing about Brooke is like people will complain about the defensive rebounding numbers, but for the longest time, I think that really smart NBA fans know that Brooke is one of the best like box out guys in the league. And if you look at the Bucks numbers, I think that they get like 78.6% of defensive rebounds when Brooke is on the court, which is like essentially a top three number in the NBA. In in part, it's because Brooke is out there kind of cleaning up the paint and allowing Giannis to come in so that Giannis can get the rebound, start the break earlier, grab and go, create offense that way. Uh, it, it, he's just a really, really, really impressive player on the defensive end. Uh, I, that's why I have Brooke Lopez at number two. Yeah, um, I, I have no issue with him being a two, and I still would have no issue with anyone who voted him number one. Um, I think just, yeah, exactly like you mentioned, his room protection overall has been impressive. The way he's navigated the yep. drop has been impressive. Like everything within uh, – like he just owns the restricted area or even not Completely. just the paint. He owns the paint. Like even the, like, yeah, like 10 feet and in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's been a blast to watch. And I appreciate too that they just don't switch him as much anymore. They used to – remember <laughs> – I'll never Occasional. forget. Yeah. I my uh most frustrated moment on Twitter um was the first two games of Suns Bucks when Mike Budenholzer just said we're gonna switch everything. And all the all the Suns did was okay, well let's pull Brooke into a switch. And then Suns fans just went so hard on oh, this is why Brooke Lopez sucks. It, it literally has nothing to do with Brooke. If anything, this is a vote of confidence for his defense. Because they're trying to switch him out so they don't have to score against him. And it's yeah. what the scheme is warranting. And, like, it's exactly like you're talking about. Like, he is just a massive human being. Like, I think other yeah. – we, we are getting another guy who is starting to feel in this realm now that he's getting playing time. Like, I, when, every time I watch Brooke Lopez play, I'm just like, that dude is seven foot one or seven foot two. He's massive. Like, I yes. can't even imagine. Yeah, I know exactly. But he's also, and like, I was about to say with Mark Williams. Of? Like, Mark Williams is hitting that stage of, like – whoa like you are huge yeah. and i felt not the seen, guy oh, that i thought you were gonna say by the who way you think i was gonna say walker kessler because i feel oh, yeah walker walker, walker is the too. same but like mark is just on a different different level well he's so long like yeah, he's, the, he's like when he like extends his arms it's just like oh my yeah. god like, you, like his wingspan is insane but like it's fun yeah. because like i a i'm just like why couldn't we see this all year but also um not to like derail this but it's uh like i don't know if you've ever watched his sister play but he and he and his sister play extremely similar, like in their the way that they move, how they defend. Like, and his sister was like, I mean, she's still really good, but she was like borderline defensive player of the year a couple times in the W. So, yeah. very random shot. But yeah, point being, like, Brooke is just like the master of being big and in the right place. And that sounds like yeah. diminishing his defense, but that's more so like talking about how he's maximized what his capabilities are. And I, I don't think that there's anybody in the league who's as good at verticality as he is. Like he's yeah. so good at getting up without fouling and just being able to contest stuff without um, putting himself in precarious positions. And that matters a ton. Well, and he also, so like when I say like huge, like he's, he's obviously long and like, he's obviously like tall. Right. Mm -hmm. But more than that, he's also like wide. Like he just takes up like with his chest and like with his frame and torso, yeah a ton of space and he has really good short area quickness to be able to make that like quick step and just get his chest in front of you. Right. Like if he has his chest in front of you, it's really hard to even manage him. Like, you know, Nick Claxton from time to time, like we've talked about Nick here a little bit. 
there are times a where Nick struggles to get his chest in front of someone because he's just not quite as wide and like he's you know he has the incredible quickness and he's really really improving at it and I think by the time Nick is like 27 he's going to be unbelievable at it but like he's just kind of not as wide and sometimes he doesn't get his chest in front of you you know I think that like this is something that you know uh, I'm trying to think like I think Joel when Joel's chest is in front of you it's just really hard to score Brooke when he gets that chest like right there it has that length, like has that verticality. It, it, you just can't, like, you can't go through him at all. Like mm-hmm. he, he is just a brick wall. Uh, like Mitchell Robinson from time to time. Like, I think that sometimes you can kind of like go into Mitchell's chest and like get that just a little bit of separation. Right. With Brooke, no chance. Like you've absolutely no chance. His verticality is also so good. He never brings the hands down. Like it's yeah. Brooke is Brooks technique is what should be taught in every single like drop coverage class. I think it is absolutely pristine in terms of getting the absolute most out of tools. There's a little bit less. Hmm. Okay. We have number one, we have Jaron Jackson, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just kind of like, look on a permanent basis. I don't even really think it's all that close. I will say, like, if you wanted to have Brooke Lopez at number one, if you wanted to have Bam Debio at number one, based off of minutes played, I'll, I'll listen to it, like, and I'll, I'll hear it out. I honestly think we're at the point where Jaron has played enough minutes now, where his level of defense this year has exceeded those guys. Uh, Jaron's numbers here in terms of rim protection, I almost have just never seen anything like it. Do you know what op- what opponents are shooting against him at the basket when he is the primary contesting player? Uh, isn't it like 45% over the last month? Somewhere around it's there. It's 43% over the entire season. Yeah, that's uh, pretty crazy. That is like lower than Rudy Gobert, I think, ever had as a primary rim protector. And oh, by the way, Jared is like out there, like playing the four a lot of the time, switching out into different coverages, rotating over as like a scramble defender and help. Like he's all over the place. It, it, he has just been unbelievable. The block rate is obviously incredible. Yeah. It, it, every time I watch him, I'm just like, holy shit. This guy is the best defender in the league. Yeah. No, I've been there. Uh, he's been extremely impressive. He opens up so much for what Memphis does in general. Um, he's just, he's very fun. I love watching him play the way that he's uh, expanded as a defender has been a blast. Um, I will say, just for my own, uh, my own, my own ire, I tweeted very angrily about two weeks ago that I was tired of hearing about him having foul problems because it had been so much better this year. He's been in foul trouble. Oh, the five. We talked about this on the pod, Mark. We did talk about this on the pod. <laughs> I, I am still not willing to step off. I think it's just been a tough, tough, tough sledding here. Um, but yeah, that is not a great look for me after uh, after I went went to bat for him. Uh, yeah, but I still think like yeah, he's been he's been unreal. And a lot of the reasons why he's played lesser minutes has not been due to foul trouble. It's because the Grizzlies are blowing everybody out. I mean, right. they've been incredibly good, incredibly dynamic. I'm very interested to see what this stretch without Stephen Adams looks like. They started Brandon Clark last yeah. night. Um, Obviously, Xavier Tillman's going to play. Uh, who shout out Xavier Tillman? I love watching Xavier Tillman play. Um, but I, I mean, even like last night, like he got blown by a couple times, but he had a couple of switches out on Steph Curry, and um, yeah. like there was. A, I'm trying to remember when it was later in the game, but just completely 
prevents him. I think Steph tries to go into like six or seven dribble combos, and he's just at the point where he's so disciplined with being able yeah. to stay in front of somebody that guys have to pass out. It's like, well, we I'm getting nothing here. And I, like, again, that's not everything, but it, it just speaks to the level of um, versatility that he has while also being elite in the things that he does do. Yeah. No, I mean, he's, he's just been unbelievable. I am interested to see how this looks with Steven Adams gone. Like it, it could look pretty different for them, but you know, for the most part, I think Jaron is a stud and I, just don't even think it's really like it's the totality of what he does like he is switchable he is like a great scramble help defender and then he's also the best rim protector in the league so far this year like i i would listen to a case for brooke is the best rim protector uh but like the numbers all say jaron like block rate contest rate um whatchamacallit like just straight up like percentage when he is the main contesting player yeah, they all say that it's Jaron this year. Uh, and my eyes tell me that Jaron's like got the best mix of versatility in terms of what he can do within scheme, as well as like just elite level rim protection, just kind of brings it all to the table. Couple other guys of note. Uh, I do love Draymond Green. I think Draymond's had a really underrated defensive season. If you look at his rim protection numbers, they're actually like, not that far off of Jaron's. He contests less than Jaron does, but like he's average. like opponents shoot 48% at the rim when he's the primary defender at the basket. He's been really, really good there. Like he'll, he even has said on his podcast a couple times, like he feels like he doesn't have like the space to be able to like hold his teammates accountable in the way that he needs to. And that defense has just kind of fallen apart a little bit around him. Uh, he would make my top 10 for sure. I don't think I can quite get him into my top five. Do you have any thoughts on Draymond defensively so far this year? Yeah, I think I'm probably in the same boat. Like, I think he's still been very good this year. I just probably would not quite have him in that, that same group. Like we've seen peak defensive Draymond and this hasn't been him yet. Like, I think that it's very much like we've seen in the, in even last year, like I thought he was incredible defensively. Um, Part of it was him missing time, but I, I still feel like, okay, he's very clearly going to uptick in the playoffs. And that's, again, not a slight. That's just, I think when it comes down to the consistency piece, it does make a difference. Um, so, yeah, I I'm, I mean, I wouldn't have an issue with somebody having him in the top five. I just personally wouldn't right now. Yep. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about Brandon Miller and Dariq Whitehead. Let, let's just start with Dariq because I, I think that Dariq uh, – is, is a little bit more simple to talk about, if only because what we're going to talk about is not actually about Dariq's play so far this season. It's more just about the weird situation he finds himself in. So he goes down with an injury on Tuesday night and he like immediately grabs like the back of his ankle and it looks like what you see when somebody tears an Achilles, right? Yeah. And this is a guy coming off of a foot injury earlier this season. This is a guy that got sick like a couple weeks ago and like had to miss a game right in the middle of a hot streak because of that. And now this happens, right? Luckily, Dariq Whitehead did not tear his Achilles. He has what John Shire is basically saying is like day to like a day to day injury, like somewhere in the like lower ankle calf region. Basically, mm-hmm. it's a strain. I think he called it really good. Really super excited for Dariq Whitehead. 
What have been your thoughts on Dariq this year? While also, like, let's acknowledge at the top, it feels like he hasn't totally been himself because he's been coming back from the foot injury. I frankly think he looks a little bit heavy, as I've said a couple of times throughout the year. Uh, like, just doesn't have that kind of wiry bounce and kind of explosiveness that he's had, it feels like. Uh, so acknowledging all of that, what have been your impressions of his play? Yeah, I mean, I I I think I would be in the same boat. Um, he's in a tough spot where, again, you know, trying to come back from injury to a team that, I mean, I wouldn't say that they've exactly had things figured out. This has been a weird Duke year. It still continues to be one. Yeah. They got a nice win over Miami, but then followed it up with a blah loss at Virginia Tech. But um, I think what's difficult is you can still see some of the things that are positive with him. Like I think that even with what his assist numbers have been, you still see some of the positive you know, playmaking stuff. Um, but the drives just haven't been there for me. And that's the most alluring thing about him with me, like being this power wing who can really be, I mean, the, the shooting has been good. Like, so that has been good. Like, I think you really have seen the shot come back. He's getting it up with volume and some versatility. Um, but without having the same interior scoring ability, like he's shooting almost better from three than he is from the field overall right now. And I yeah. think a lot of that's just been, he doesn't have the same elevation and pop. He's not really getting to the free throw line at all, which I think, is going to be a big part of his game at the pro level as a swing skill for sure. Um, yeah. So for me, like I, I where we probably defer on it. I'm not that I'm not worried. Like, I, I don't think it's been a good year for him by any stretch, but also just knowing athletes and how difficult it is to get back from injury. Even if you're back yeah. and you've been cleared, it's one thing to be cleared. And it's another thing to actually be a hundred percent. Clearly he's not 100% because uh, we've seen him play before. Um, yeah. So I think it just is going to be a, a big case, kind of like it was uh, – I mean, it's different than the A.J. Griffin stuff because A.J. played so well down the stretch for Duke. Um, yep. But I do think it's going to be kind of the similar degree of, okay, well, how do teams feel about his high school tape and what that means? How do they feel about what is um, – how do they feel about his medicals? Um, because I think that will play a really big part. Um so yeah, I I don't know if I didn't mean to diverge from where you were going with it, but that's that's where I'm no, at. No, I I think that everything that you just said is right. I mean, so first and foremost, like I have some numbers I can share with you. Like, you know, he's shooting forty five and a half percent at the rim in half court settings. That is like very very low, very very bad. Uh, and then he's only getting there like one point five times per game, even. Yeah. Which anybody that watched Derek Whitehead at Montverde will tell you, like. This dude was like a hyper aggressive downhill slasher, like was trying to rip the rim down, like super, super aggressive when he was playing him up. And it's just really hard. I think when that ends up being the case, right? Like if he can't do that, he's now resigned to shooting from three and he's been really good at that. He's 41 and a half percent from three over his last, I think eight games. Like he looks really good. I think he's 39 on the year. Like the, the shooting looks clean. Everything there looks good. I will say, I while I talk about his athleticism not quite being at the level it was at Montverde, I have always had some questions about how bouncy he is, how great the first step is. Uh, is it legitimately like very, like not just like elite, but like even just like, really highly above average or is it just like solidly above average like is he just like an okay athlete that plays super aggressively right like he can play off of one foot which is really really important as a leaper but i don't know like there are times where i watch him where i'm just like 
are we sure that he is as bouncy as like what his dunk numbers would indicate at Montverde? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I think like, I don't know. I never really thought of him as like a super bouncy guy last year. Um, yeah. Even watching him, but I think it was more so in, um, and it was less about like even having like amazing first step or anything. I thought it was more so to me, just like the, with how good of a shooter he was, you know, getting to play off of people. Like I think I, I've never looked at him as somebody who I view as like primary upside dude. Like I think he's yep. very much like super enticing secondary wing who, you know, depending on what his upside as a scorer ends up being, um, I think he has like really legit value just being a strong two-way player who can maybe grow into into more in the NBA with just based up being a dribble pass shoot guy or you can play defense. Um, so I think, you know, any kind of additional stuff that that you get there, like maybe if, let's say if there had been like a, a growth in some explosiveness where you do see something with that and, you know, a different setting, like then that maybe would have changed things. But I think for me, um, at least how I've tried to approach it, I probably have been a little bit lower just – I mean, it's hard not to be, um, but I generally am in the same spot of if a team feels comfortable with um, where they're at with his high school tape, I'd be pretty comfortable taking him in the top seven. So, like, I think that he's mm. – with where I was at with him last year, I viewed him wow. as, like, a top seven to ten guy. Um, and I'm not – again, it, it would depend on the team and, and the construct and how they feel about it, but I don't think that that's crazy. Yeah, I think I was always a little, I was with you as opposed to like top three or four, top five. I saw him more as like a back half of the lottery guy. I think that there's got to be some uncertainty baked in, especially with some of the guys sure. that have jumped up and have played really, really well. I think there's a wide range. And th- this is what happens when I talk to teams, right? And I wrote about this, the athletic, like everyone was just like, Hey, look, you know, we want to, we see he's playing a little bit better. The tape so far has not been great. We'd love to see what he's going to look like in February and March, right? Uh, we think that there's real potential. He's going to look better as the season goes on. We don't have to make a decision on him right now. Let's get the full picture, basically. And we don't have the full picture yet. And it looks like we're going to get the full picture because his ankle, he's not out for the year. Hopefully it's not something that bothers him for the entirety of the season. And based on the way John Shire is talking about it, it does not seem like it's a significant injury. He actually like said, I think at one point, it does not look like a significant injury at the very least. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we're going to get to see it based on what he's shown so far at Duke. Like if it continues along this trajectory and he shoots under 40% from the field and a really good three point number, but like doesn't do anything other than score really. Cause that's the other part of his game. Like he has not really done anything other than score the basketball this season at a even like reasonable level. I think the draft range is wide. Yeah. I'll say that. No, like, exactly. I, I think I it's really, like, really wide. Yeah. I mean, you're starting to talk about a guy who maybe slips as, you know, maybe back into the first round. Like it could be it, it, even farther. It's just going to depend. I, I don't think you can rule that out, I guess is what I would say. Like, yeah. I, I think he could go, you know, 10, 11 or whatever. I think he could also slip. So I, I don't know. It's, it's tricky, but like, I, I see like a couple of people mentioning like maybe he shouldn't play the rest of the year. Oh no. I, I think he, if he can get back to full health, like if he's able to play, I think he should play. Like, yeah, no, without he can question. only kind of help himself based off the tape so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Okay. You wanted to talk about Brandon Miller. I'm just going to give you ISO on Brandon Miller at this point. Cause I talked about Brandon uh, on the podcast, I think with spins earlier this week. Uh, so I, I want you to ISO on Brandon Miller. This is this is important. 
Yeah. Um, Brandon has just been somebody who I've really, uh, who's made me think a lot this year, which has been fun. Um, cause I always appreciate the players who make me think, um, like as dynamic as he was out the gates, like it was noted how much he was struggling inside the arc, like shooting 32% from two. And it wasn't because he was taking a lot of pull-up twos. It was like floaters, runners, like stuff at the rim, but then, okay, you have to, you have to counter that with, okay, well look at how he's playing now. Like, Part of it has been legitimate improvements on his end, but also I want to shout out like Nate Oates did an awesome job in starting to like tweak little aspects of their offense to make things easier on him. So like, instead of like, obviously they were still giving him straight, like just handle a ball screen and go from here, but also they started doing a lot more of like, okay, well let's get you running into a ball screen instead of having you just create off the catch because I mean, not create from a standstill because that, that way you can at least you kind of bake in getting a half step in something if you're moving quickly. Um, and to his credit, too, like he's been I think his footwork has looked better. He's been better playing through contact, but also by virtue of getting into it less um, like he just hasn't forced shit in the same way that he was earlier in the year. Um, you know, he's been a lot better at like trying to go to his inside hand. He's been better at keeping the ball on the hand longer. Like, I think that's actually been the biggest improvement for me. Like he went from, it almost felt like every layup was like kind of a floater because of how early he was releasing his guide hand. And now you see him like he's waiting until like the last possible second to take his guide hand off, which is like drastically helped his touch around the rim. Um, because it like, I mean, part of the issue is like, if you take your guide hand off that early and you're dealing with contact because you're not creating a lot of separation, oh, hey, the ball's going to go all over the place. So I think those have been like really good, important things for him. Um, do I think that he's a guy who's going to finish like 60, 65% at the rim? No, probably not. Do I think he's a guy who's going to shoot 40% of the rim? No, probably not. So I think it's, you know, you start for me, when you start looking at like just how drastically different both ends have been, it's just important to to keep that in context. And yeah, um, so I've appreciated that from him because the shooting is just so good. The shooting is so good. <laughs> it's like, and I know part of what's difficult, um, and I have the benefit of not having watched Brandon before college because he just wasn't really on my radar. Um, like I know I I should know because he played at Brad Beal Elite, um, but. I mean, he was not a shooter like this before college, but I'm no, also at the level. Of yeah. Shooting. Like, do I think he is a 46 or 47% three point shooter? No, but also I've seen a 20 game stretch. Like this is one of the best shooting stretches I've ever seen. It's not just the hot stretch. It's not just like he's on a heater right now. This has been like consistent. I am hitting extremely difficult shots. A lot of them self-created a lot of them off movement with regularity like I'm a very firm believer on him as a shooter. Um, and when you oh, start he's definitely going to shoot. Yeah. Definitely like I, I still would not call him a three level scorer right now. Cause the in-between game just really isn't there in my opinion. Like he does not have a lot of, um, I, I mean that, and to be fair too, like I think that secondary level is when you have a guy who is starting to show the ability to really at least finish off the dribble and getting towards the rim the way he has. Cause what, what's been so important for me about this um, and why I want to talk about it, because I wrote about this too. Like when you have a guy who no longer has those finishing problems at the rim, or is at least getting to a level where it's like, okay, this is more serviceable. Like you're talking about like, okay, well, coaches are way more comfortable building sets for you and, and keeping you out there. And like alongside of what he brings defensively as well. Like, I think what I've realized more and more over the last year or so is you have to be 
so good at a certain baseline for coaches to really trust you to continue to do things and wrap things out. So I have more faith in him having the opportunity to become a three-level scorer and becoming more of a primary ball handler, or even not even saying that he has to be that, but like the, the opportunities and pathways for him to become this higher level prospect or more available when you have these baseline skills that are better um, is what I'm trying to get at. Um, Cause if you go from a guy who is I'm shooting 40% on layups right now, it, it's very difficult, especially like, I mean, for like one year when you're it, like, and, and I think it's important to note too, like a lot of teams I just think are going to start going away from, I, I don't know how long it's going to be before we see a team do what the thunder did again. Um, just based on what, uh, how the NBA is starting to incentivize, uh, I mean, with the plan and the way that teams are approaching it now, I'm curious just to see how it affects some ways that teams approach development. But um, I think like, it's just po- point being when you are doing this thing better, that is a very important part of your game. Uh, it opens up a lot more for you in being able to continue to explore other aspects of your game. Yeah. Brandon Miller, two point, uh, field goal percentage tracker. He's shooting 63% over his last 11 games from two point range. Uh, if you remember correctly, that was the thing that people dinged him for early in the season. Not incorrectly. Like I think he was at like 39%. Yeah. But people also went like way overboard with it. It was went way overboard with it. I thought I agree as well, given the small sample of it. Um, Again, I still think he has a lot to clean up there. Like my, my evaluation holds where I was just like, yeah, like he's not a super vertical athlete. And I think that he needs to work on his lower body strength and some of his footwork stuff. Like it's, you know, his feet kind of get tied up from time to time. It feels like he'll, he'll fix that stuff. I think like he's already started to fix that stuff at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. Um, and, And by the way, like those 11 games, almost all against high level ish competition, right? Like you're talking Memphis, Gonzaga, there's the Jackson State game in there, but Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Arkansas, LSU, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Mississippi State. I mean, that's a really, really good group of games right there and a really good group of teams. So, yeah, I mean, any again, my evaluation holds. Anybody who's six foot nine, shoots 40% from three and can hold up on defense. Yeah, that's a that's a very high level prospect. I Mark, think where I'm- would you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you, like, I, I have Brandon, like, pretty clearly at four right now, uh, three or four, depending on the day. Uh, where would you take Brandon Miller? I probably can't get with four right now. Um, but I, I yeah, think, wait, he, like, why? what other guy? Oh, I I mean, I could see a case for taking Osor Thompson over him. Like, I'm, I'd be cool with that. Okay. I like I again it's going to depend on teams cuz like I'm probably just a lot lower on what his playmaking potential is. Um Yeah. Uh I, I'm so, comfortable with taking a sore over him for what it's worth. I, I don't agree but yeah. like I, I'm I think that's a that's a reasonable person to have. Yeah, him. I mean I think it would just again it just depends on the team, but um like I I know you're going to disagree with this. I would take in some situations Keontae George over him. Um, yeah, I think no, no. Yeah, I, I'm fine with you. <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna disagree on that. Um, <laughs> like, I, I would be comfortable taking Nick Smith over Brandon Miller in a lot of situations. Um, I, yeah, I completely disagree with that, and that's yeah. totally fine. Uh, and yeah, like, but I'm at the point where he's pretty much a top ten lock for me. Like, I would, yeah, I don't see him falling outside that. Um, he, what he does is too valuable. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he's extremely fun and he's very good. 
the the shooting is an absolute blast. I okay. But, here's but like here's I'm, so like oh, here's sorry. here's the other thing though with Brandon. Like it's not just the shooting. Like he has actually improved going toward the rim. He is rebounding at a super high level. He is a solid defender. He's not like an elite defender. He's not like a super plus on that end. But he's going to hold up defensively in the NBA. Like I feel mm-hmm. pretty good about that. So like it, it's the kind of across the board like production to me. It's not, he's not like Jet Howard where Jet Howard scores, gets buckets from like the first two levels. Can kind of pass. Like he's, he's a pretty good passer. A lot of them are preordained. See, that's where I I don't think that he's a very good passer. Yeah. Like can be a solid playmaker when you run things for him. But I think Michigan does a really, really good job of putting him in positions where he is like at his utmost effectiveness. Uh, Oh, wait, where, you were like, talking about Jet. I thought you meant Brandon. Yeah, I, no, no, no. I'm talking about okay. Jet. Yeah, Brandon. Okay. I, I don't think Brandon's a great playmaker at all. Yeah. Um, but, like, Jet, I think Jet can make passes. Like, I think there are moments where, like, you know, he comes off one of those zoom actions with, like, a dribble handoff, and he, like, jump stops, surveys the defense, hits, like, a corner kick out. I think he's pretty good at hitting the roll man on, like, preordained reads. But a lot of his reads are preordained, I, I think, at the same token. So, like it's interesting. And then he does nothing else beyond that. Like Jed Howard does absolutely nothing else beyond make like reasonable passing reads and scoring from the three point level and the mid range level. Doesn't put any pressure on the rim. Doesn't get to the foul line. Doesn't rebound. Doesn't like defend at all. Like he's really bad defensively. So when I'm looking at like an all around game, like Brandon Miller has a way more all around game than Jed Howard does at this point. I'd still like it, it would depend on the again depends on the team, but with what Jet has shown, I because again he's a better playmaker. I think his handles better. Um, I think who who does Jet Howard guard at the next level? I, again, that's a very fair question, but like I I <laughs> that's what I'm struggling with. Like seriously, Miller. Like I think it, again, it just depends on the team, but um, like I here, I think here's the just, thing. Here's the thing with Jet. Like this is what worries me. He's six eight. Doesn't really get through screens well, right? Like, just isn't a good, like, on-ball defender at all. Uh, Like, he's just, like, there's no real switchability there. I think he's actually worse on bigs than he is on guards. Like, guys are, like, taking him onto the block way too easily. Um, Like, you you would expect him to be able to, like, kind of hold up. But he stands so high. He has, like, the high center of gravity. Like, he just, like, kind of anyone who can out-leverage him either like as a driver because they have a better first step or like can out leverage him because he stands high and like, is just like kind of there and like post defense or mm-hmm. uh, like in the mid post, if you can out leverage him, like it's curtains, like you just move him at the end of the day. I get it. Like if you want to bet on the defense getting better, but like, he's also even his off ball defense, like yeah, he, he sinks too far in. Defense. Yeah. He sinks too far in, but even like his mechanics, like he sinks too far in, and then, like, he'll go to try and close out on someone, and he's just super hoppy. Like, everything he does defensively is super hoppy, it feels like to me. Yeah, his footwork sucks on defense. And part of why I, like, again, I question what his defensive ceiling is, but I have, like, I think to me, what differentiates it to is how confident are you, are you in? And I'm, I'm not saying I have an answer right now, but it's like yeah. the difference for how teams are going to view it is how confident are we in making Jet a serviceable defender? between Brandon growing as a playmaker. Cause I just like, that is going to be my biggest hang up. Like I, I do see a lot of like 
primary potential get thrown around for Brandon. I just can't get there. Like I but do not. I can't get there with Jet it. either. Oh, I I probably can't get there with Jet either. But I probably believe yeah. I have more faith in in Jet having that potential star upside than Brandon right now. Yeah, not, I think that that's there's not a scheme that's likely for either. But it's just more. Yeah, like, I should. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Like I, I think there's a like for instance, Michigan's scheme is really good. Like they run them off those like zoom actions, those dribble handoffs, and get them going downhill in order to minimize his lack of burst, his lack of first step. If you get him on the move, it really, really helps him. But like, if you're going to run an offense like that around Jet Howard, I think it's great. Like, I think that's how you have to run an offense with him. I think that Jawan has done like a fantastic job of making him look great. And again, this comes from someone, I have Jet at like 10 or 11 on my board. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really like Jet. Like, I, I think he's fantastic. I, you know, maybe nine, 10 or 11. I forget where I have him. Let's ballpark it at 10, right? Like, I really, really like Jet. I also think that if you put him in a scheme where it's like he's spotting up in the corner, he's spotting up on the wing, you're not getting him uh, in spaces that really like accentuate his athleticism. I worry if you're getting the most out of him on the offensive end. Because again, like I think you can recover to him when he attacks closeouts. I think that you can like kind of disrupt him a little bit once he gets inside the three-point line with his handle he's a great shooter like he's a high release point he shoots over the top all the time but like is he going to be the primary guy that you want shooting over the top of your guy for like your defender from the mid-range i don't know if that's no yeah i'm not saying that i want him to be primary i just think it's tough especially looking contextually he's a guy who i think could really pop more in nba offense because yes they run good stuff yeah i their overall spacing and just the way that that offense gets guarded. Like I, yeah. I do think that there could be like, again, cause I, I think a lot of the criticisms and uh, things that you're bringing up are very valid concerns, but it's just like, okay, well, what if he gets to play in a better space on offense? What if he gets to play with alongside a more competent ball handler? Um, like I just, I think him becoming like a secondary star is, is possible. Um, and again, well, like, that's not trying to ask you the stuff, but like, yeah, but like, it's so interesting because like the scheme for Jed is perfect at Michigan. The spacing is just not valid. It's not like super high level, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the scheme and the spacing for Brandon is perfect at Alabama, right? Yeah. But then you look at Derek. You know, neither of them are probably right for Derek. everything's been terrible Duke, right? for like every player on two. Yeah, like, Jesus Christ. Um, you know, trying to think of like someone else, like Kaysen, Like the scheme and the spacing like does not work for Kaysen at all as a yeah. driver. So. It's it's a mix. Like you have to try and find what works, what doesn't work, what's the more important input kind of thing. Like it's funny. Like the guys that I've been comparing Jet to, like it's almost like a cross between like TJ Warren and Kevin Herter. It feels like like a like because Kevin can really shoot it. Obviously, TJ never really shot it in college, but he had that like super nice in between game. Whereas like a lot of floaters that Jet has that nice little floater, um, you know, could really kind of separate in the mid range and shoot over the top in the mid range, which is something mm-hmm. that Kevin doesn't really do. Jet can do that. TJ could do that, but also like he's an incredible shooter and an incredible floor spacer in a similar way. So like I've been like trying to find like what are the names that make sense for me? And like this weird modern, like combo of Kevin Herter and um, TJ Warren is kind of like what stood out to me. Um, while acknowledging that TJ never shot threes. That's kind of why I'm throwing in Herter. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like really interesting player. And that, that guy goes in the top 10, I think. Like that yeah. guy should go in the top 10. Like I'm a, I, I am a big fan of Jet Howard. I just can't get him in the conversation with Brandon Miller. Like I think Brandon just does way more. Uh, we'll have to have this debate again at some point because like, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I, I yeah. don't know. I, we definitely view it a little bit differently. Holds up defensively rebounds. G- give me the guys that like just do more stuff, I guess. is kind of what my point is. Oh, that's fair. Um, yeah. And I'll, like, also I think I buy, here's, here's the difference really between where the two of us are. I think I buy Brandon's creation upside just a little bit more if you get stronger Probably. than you do. Yeah. Um, not like, look, I'm not like projecting it. I'm not saying like it's a definite thing that's going to happen. I think that there is like some, I think there's some real upside there. Uh, yeah, the no, same I would agree with that. I like, think it's just like, too. I, yeah. my biggest thing is just going to be more like, like it's tough. Cause like, I, I really struggle with anytime I see somebody throw out a Paul George comp. Like I always, Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, he's not Paul insane. Cause it's yeah. no, it's nothing the same. No. And that's not to be disrespectful. And that's just like, Paul George was an insane athlete at his level and the handle development was unreal. So no. Um, But with Brandon, like I think if the in-between game really comes along, that's super interesting. Cause like to me and this, I have, I have been cautious about unwielding this one, but like I view him as like, think of it like supercharged Doug McDermott without defensive issues. And People will hear that and think that that's terrible. That's a really interesting player. Like I think, because like yeah, like like the shooting. Like again, like I believe the shoot. Like he is the best shooter in the draft. For me, I I'll have people try and say Grady Dick to me. I'm like, no, it's it's Brandon for me. Like because Grady yeah. Grady's a great shooter, but like I think it, I think it's the close, level of yeah. difficulty isn't quite the same. Um, yeah, but I mean that. And like I mean, Doug can legitimately attack closeouts. Like he is a legit guy who can do some things inside the arc. Brandon's better at that than what Doug was in college already. I think my vision is like, okay, what if he can build in some of the in between game? Like people forget Doug's in between game was sick in college. Oh, sick at Creighton. He was unreal. And like I think to me, like I really think Brandon. I've gotten like way more open to the idea of like, can he become a primary scorer on the team? I think that's possible. Like I just think again, I'm just lower on the playmaking and the so, playmaking feel. So is, is, are you, so like what I'm wondering is can Brandon be like Michael Porter jr. Like that is reasonable on defense basically. And by Porter jr. I mean the Porter jr. We've seen in Denver, not the guy that like we all expected him to be prior to the injuries where he was like a top two recruit in the country and like had all of the creation upside in the world. Uh, I don't really think Michael has that anymore. Like maybe like post injuries, Michael Porter Jr. Like with defensive ability. Like does that does that like sound right for you at all? I think that's possible. I just like I, part of me. I want to go back and watch some of Brandon's stuff from from high school in AAU just to see what the yeah. in between game was like because it was it was pretty good. Like that was yeah. actually what I liked about him was like. He had a really good in-between game. I, I always thought that the shooting worked better from the in-between side than like from three. And then he came in this year at Alabama and was just like fucking tearing the nets down. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, wait, like this is not this is just like an incredible shooter then. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm like is like. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to come up with a comp. It's almost like Kyle Kuzma. Like if he could shoot, but Kuzma is way better on the interior. Like had the floater game, like had the, like, it's not, it's not Kuzma though. Like on the, like Kuzma shooting though, because Mm -hmm. 
he's just he's a totally different player in some respects. Yeah, no, it, it, it's hard to find it's hard to find the right comp for Brandon Miller, but what he does is super valuable. Like we know that. Yeah. No, so. 100%. Okay. Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Plug everything you need to plug. Uh, and then wait, 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 maybe don't do that yet. Have you seen what movies have you seen? Oh yes. You- Actually I had one to bring up today. Um, so it was a rewatch for me. Because it's yeah. been a it's been a while since I rewatched it, but little little monsters with Lupita Nyong'o, um, great. Oh yeah, I've seen that. So good. that's really fun. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I love horror comedies, so like it was great. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen it, basically the premise of this is Lupita Nyong'o is a uh like pre K teacher, um, and I think she's supposed to be in Australia. It's the the whole setting is a little bit uh they don't they set it up in a weird way, um, yeah. but basically uh. She's an elementary school teacher. She's not actually the main character, but she may as well have been um, because she was really great in just acting in this in general. Um, but she's an elementary, like elementary, elementary pre-K school teacher and uh, takes like 15 kids to a petting zoo for a day. And then the zombie outbreak happens. And it's basically like her and this random guy who's the protagonist, who's just kind of a dick, to be honest. Um trying to uh keep these children from recognizing what's happening um and it's phenomenal uh the acting from her is really good it's just funny without also being outlandish and josh gad's in it and he's a total dick it's fantastic because he's like he plays this guy who uh is supposed to be like a performer for children like famous dude on tv and he's just like he's drunk the entire time like he's (laughs) like trying like he literally tries to like kill the children multiple times like yeah it's it's amazing it's a really great movie i I strongly recommend for anybody it's on hulu it's pretty fun it's a really really fun movie um speaking of horror comedies watched megan last night i that's on the watch list what did you think (laughs) there are things in megan (laughs) that made me laugh really hard it was probably a little too predictable for me um yeah it needed a little bit more story, but and, and like, there are some things that are like, like pretty, like some, I don't know. It's not really scary, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. For like a science fiction, horror comedy kind of thing. I, I had a fairly good time with it. I don't know if I'd call it like the best movie I've seen in a while. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it like a great, mo- a good movie even, but I had fun with it. It's a, it's a strange little film. <laughs> yeah I, I probably will enjoy it then i'm interested to see it because i like weird movies so i can dig this it this one this one's weird that is for sure like a special weird what i'm most excited for is black panther comes out on i think february 1st um on disney mm. plus because i never got to see it in theaters i was just too busy yeah. so i want to see that really bad so actually yeah we'll see that probably by next time we talk yeah um I'm trying to think what else I've watched yeah. or what's coming up. I saw, I watched two other movies this week. I saw All Quiet on the Western Front. How was that? I've heard really good things. So looks incredible. Production design's amazing. Cinematography's amazing. It was just kind of empty for me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, look, it's not meant to be a movie where, like, you're – enjoying watching it like it's literally like an anti-war film about the horrors that you see in battle right Mm -hmm. 
Um, it was just like a little bit narratively like amorphous kind of where like, yeah, there's a narrative, but like it kind of skips and jumps around and I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to explain. Like it's effective for what it's trying to accomplish, but I, I didn't really rock with it as much as I wanted to. Um, like saving private Ryan is also about like the horrors of war, but there's a narrative you're trying to follow. They're trying to accomplish a task. They're trying to accomplish a goal. Like you can do both things at once. This more just focused on like the horrors of war. And I was like, okay, like I, I get it. Like I, I more, I'm not a war fan either, you know, mm-hmm. uh, hashtag, uh, this, this podcast is not a fan of wars. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> um, and then I saw Causeway, which is the Jennifer Lawrence, Brian Tyree Henry, Henry movie on Apple TV plus. Um, really enjoyed that. Really, really good. Re- like scaled back. Like I feel like Jennifer Lawrence has not done like a scaled back thing like this for a long time. Like maybe since Silver Linings Playbook and even those David O. Russell movies get a little bit like over the top in terms of like production design and everything. Yeah. This is just super scaled back. It was just like her and Brian Tyree Henry, like on screen and they had really good chemistry and it was like a really fun, you know, experience to watch those two on screen together. Brian Tyree Henry is like amazing in it. And so is Jennifer Lawrence. Like they're both just really, really good. It, it just worked. It worked for me like almost totally. Okay. Well, I need to check that out. Cause I have enjoyed anything I've seen Brian in. So he's I great. Wanna, yeah, I definitely want to see that. Yeah. Anything else for you? Or do you want to get out of here? Is, is it time? Um, I don't think that I have. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying I want to get out of here. I always enjoy our talks. I just don't. I don't <laughs> think that I saw anything else all that noteworthy. Um, I'm, I will say Oscars is always rigged and stupid. Nope. Not getting any kind of nomination was ridiculous. <laughs> um, I'm mad about it. Um, but it happens every year and I hate it. So just thought yeah. I'd put that out there. I need to watch Nope again. When I saw it, I was like, this is a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. I feel like it's a bit of, I felt like, I don't even know if like step back for Jordan Peele is the right word. Cause it's just so different than the other mm-hmm. two. I was set, I was sitting there. I wasn't sure it was as effective as us and get out, but yeah, I want to, I do want to watch it again and see what I think. Cause I, I really liked it, but like, on my list right now so i'm like starting to like create my like movies of the year list like i had yeah. it at like 13 right okay like and by the way i've seen you know like 145 movies this year so it's like literally like a top 10 percent movie for me of the year i absolutely loved it I-, I was just like is this one of the best movies of the year i don't know i, I don't know that i quite had it there okay well, yeah, so, I need it's one of the ones I need to rewatch too. I think my theater experience was just so good with it that yeah. maybe I because I went like I went I saw opening night with one of my best friends. Yeah. And, um so I probably have it like maybe higher than I needed to. But I you know what remind me and I will I will I'll yeah. watch it again before I need to rewatch it. Like that that's where I'm at. Like I really I think there is a chance. Like I've listened to a lot of like really good content on it, and I think there is a chance that like I watch it again and I feel a little bit differently about it. Um, But my initial reaction was, this is a really good movie and I had a really good time seeing it. I don't know that it's like, you know, 
Oscar worthy or like, you know, quite in the realm of us and get out, but we'll see. Yeah. Maybe I feel differently the second time I watch it. I actually, um, I do have another one that I forgot to bring up. Okay, you don't have to talk go. about it very long. Cause it was, so I, I don't know why I watched this just to, to put it bluntly. Um, I do really enjoy Naomi Rapache. She's really good. Lamb. Did you see this movie came out in 2021? No. Laura and I missed it. it um, it's fine to miss this one. It is yeah. fucking weird. Uh, <laughs> Is the best way to put it. I have no idea how this, like, maybe it's based off some kind of uh, horror fable or something. But yeah, no, this this movie's weird, man. It's extremely weird. It just like yeah. makes you feel extremely uncomfortable the entire time. Um, because basically, the premise for anybody who hasn't watched it, this is your step out to if you want to go watch one of the weirdest horror movies that's been made in the last two or three years, yeah. then step out right now. But basically. This wife and uh, this couple who um, live in middle of nowhere in Iceland because um, it's it's an Icelandic movie, so you you have subtitles. Um, they have like struggled having kids. They're like mid thirties, forties, whatever. And randomly, I, I like I don't even know how to explain it. Like the lamb child happens, like half lamb, half half human kid. Um, and basically, like they they start the the wife like pretends that it's their child and starts raising it like a kid, and it's the whole movie's about this, and it cannot prepare you for the ending. Like I'll say that <laughs> while also saying it's just like the it's a movie that does not sound terrifying at all, but you watch it and it's just like incredibly unsettling. Like this woman is like so uh, like this it's just like a fractured relationship between her and her husband. And it's in such a weird place because like, I mean, you watch her like treat this, like the, the way that the CGI is done, it looks extremely, extremely believable. Like just this little lamb kid. And it's like all like the normal things that they do with a lamb kid are like extremely unnormal and odd and uncomfortable to watch. And then like the, the climax happens when, or not even climax, but like it gets ratcheted up another level when, the husband's brother comes to stay with them. And like, it's very clearly like, this is fucking weird. Like, what is this? <laughs> like, you know, like as any normal person would, and then it just goes from there. And it's, uh, it's wild. It's extremely yeah. wild. One real quick note that I want to fig- uh, finish on. So uh, Caitlin Cooper announced that obviously she does not have a place to write anymore uh, because Vox did some layoffs and, Indy Cornrows is not going to be supported by Vox, etc. Caitlin Cooper's been on this podcast before. Caitlin Cooper is one of the best basketball minds working in the public sphere in basketball. She's period one of the best basketball minds I think I've ever met in my entire life and gotten a chance to speak to. I would implore literally anybody to go hire Caitlin Cooper. She is unbelievable at this. So that, that's just like my quick little 30, 30 second spiel. You've worked with Caitlin. You've podcasted with Caitlin a lot. Uh, do you want to give like a quick little spiel here? Yeah, I, I mean, think it's just, just like the, it, the biggest no brainer on planet Earth to me. Yeah, I mean it. Uh, that whole thing sucked because um, just for for reference, like Caitlin and I do the Indie Corners podcast together, and that is no longer going to be funded uh, starting at the end of February, um, which sucked. But mainly, like, um, there is not a better basketball mind that I've met even with like talking to people who work for teams. Like it's Caitlin. She's the smartest person I know. I've learned 
more about basketball than I have from anyone that I, I've learned from Caitlin. Like, yep. um, she's an incredibly good person too. Like, she's just a really kind person. She's one of my really close friends in in life and basketball. And I uh, I know she's going to land on her feet. I know she doesn't think that right now um, <laughs> because you know she. She she deserves the world though. She if if anybody listening to this has any kind of opportunity, and this is not me making it sound like a charity case, like she's she's better than what anything but yeah. She, your your place um, will be much better for it. <laughs> yeah. So just if you haven't already, reach out to Caitlin because she's awesome yeah. and she deserves to have a really cool platform that that lets her write whatever she wants because she does not need an editor. So um yeah, that's that is my quick synopsis. Unreal. She is unbelievably good at what she does. Like I, that is a like I very rarely get you know blown away by people's writing. Mm-hmm. I just every time I read something of hers, I am just like, you are exceptionally good at this. You're exceptionally detail oriented. Like you're clearly picking up things that nobody else is picking up. Like it's just it's a no brainer. It's an absolute no brainer that she is available. Is kind of a discredit to the industry uh on in some respect which i get that it's a tough industry but like uh yeah she's it's a no-brainer to go hire caitlin so go do that uh mark tell the people where they can find your work tell the people what's going on in your life yeah you can find me on twitter at mg underscore schindler um i'm going to be up all night writing a feature um so that's that's my night um and then i should be doing a lot more basketball watching tomorrow which i'm excited about but um love it yeah a lot of fun stuff in the work so yes be on the lookout all right uh what do i have i don't know i've written a lot i'm just waiting for trades like i wrote about rui achimura go read that i wrote about um mid-season all transfer teams go read that uh danny seth and i have the nba trade deadline big board up go read that next week we'll either be heavy with trades trade stuff if that happens or it won't be and i'll be writing a lot of draft guide stuff so uh both will be very productive for me uh, i think i sent off my first thirty thousand word dump to my editors <laughs> earlier oh, this week yikes. uh they uh, they were they were they were happy that it came four months earlier than it typically does yes yeah, i would be for too. this thing <laughs> yeah uh and yet they were disappointed that they have to read 30,000 words, I'm sure. So, folks, please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. Go to theathletic.com slash game theory. That is your best way to support the podcast over on The Athletic. You get a great subscription as well as uh, you get to support the show. That's great. Um, go support all of our sponsors. We love them all. Go like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube, etc. Do everything there. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Thank you.